This is the Championship Chat Podcast, your home of news, views and debate from England's second tier. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Championship Chat Podcast. I'm your host, Elliot Jackson, and I'm joined as always by George Smith. George, how are you? Not too bad, mate. Not too bad. Um, been, uh, been on a day off today, so uh, pretty relaxing day with the weather pretty rubbish outside. But other than that, not really much happening in my life. How about you? Yes, the uh, the weather is pretty crap. Yeah, we went away uh, last night overnight to Manchester, watched the off-menu live, if there's any fans of that listening. Um, hence why we're recording a little bit later on Monday afternoon, but I'm glad we are because we've got plenty of breaking news and, and hot topics to get into on today's pod. Um, so I'm looking forward to it. As always, a reminder to make sure you are subscribed to this podcast feed, which you can find on all your usual platforms, and make sure you follow us on Twitter and Instagram at ChampChatPod24. And a massive thank you to our sponsors, Cards Accepted, for supporting the podcast this season. If you're looking to take car payments with no contract or monthly fees, visit cardsaccepted.co.uk. They provide a discount on the RRP of all smoke devices, so make sure you go and check them out. And over the next hour, we'll be bringing you our reaction to the big talking points from the weekend as Gareth Ainsworth leads Queen's Park Rangers, Bristol City sack Nigel Pearson, and Sheffield Wednesday win a game of football. I want to do that a little bit again. Hang on. And over the next hour, we'll be bringing you our reaction to the biggest talking points from the Championship weekend as Gareth Ainsworth leads Queen's Park Rangers, Bristol City sack Nigel Pearson, and Sheffield Wednesday win a game of football. This is the Championship Chat Podcast. George, let's start with the breaking news at Ashton Gate, with Bristol City making a change to sack Nigel Pearson after two and a half years at the club. Interesting decision, this interesting timing. Obviously, there was the comments last weekend that we didn't quite really touch on, but um, I think are important in the context of trying to understand why Steve Lansdowne, the Bristol City owner, has made this decision now. Pearson said after the game last week that he was irritated by his contract situation with his deal up in the summer. Um, I read an interview he did, I think it was with The Times off the top of my head. Um, earlier in the summer where he talked about his future a little bit, how he's moved to Bristol, um, how he's quite settled at the club. And I think he's been anchoring for a new deal for a while. Well, Bristol City have gone the other way and they've, they've sacked him. So I do think it's a little bit harsh in the sense that I think it's quite easy to miss quite a lot of the work he's done at Ashton Gate. He's helped lower the wage bill dramatically. He's developed young players. You know, Alex Scott had not even made his... I don't, I don't think he'd made his championship debut when... Nigel Pearson took over. So he's been instrumental in his development. They lost him in the summer, of course, and didn't really replace him. They'd already done their summer work before they sold Scott for £25 million. But they have lost five of the last seven games. And I think if we're playing devil's advocate, they're probably not quite kicked on as Bristol City fans and maybe the owner would have hoped. But I think he was quite popular with the supporters. And from the reactions that I've been reading, on certainly on social media, I think there's a bit of surprise and a little bit of sadness at this decision. I think it'd be quite easy to say, well, the 15th had been mid-table for his entire tenure, but I think that would miss the context of what he's done behind the scenes, the way he's helped bring through young players. You know, this season we've seen Sam Bell really come into the fore, Tommy Conway um, and plenty of others that have, have really excelled and shined during his tenure. And there's also been a lot of financial elements the club have had to deal with during COVID. Um, as I say, getting the, lo- the, the wage bill lowered dramatically. So, obviously, his deal was up in the summer. He made a lot of noise last week about wanting a new one. It's a big call from Bristol City, and with them sat 15th in the table, 
I mean, very intrigued to see where they go next because I don't think this was a, a, a move that supporters were crying out for necessarily. Definitely not. It's it's come out of nowhere, hasn't it? In a way, it was very surprising. I thought when I saw the news on Sunday afternoon and immediately I thought, realistically, Bristol City, though they're not flying high, they're not in a position where you're really sort of panicking about them. They are, as you say, in 15th spot at the minute, not too far away from the playoffs with how condensely bunched the table is at the moment. But it's quite clear that Bristol City want to go in a different direction now. They want to try something a little bit different. But like you said there, Nigel Pearson did a very, very good job during his tenure there. And though, of course, they were never sort of a team that you looked at and thought they're going to be charging for the top six, they were consistently sort of going to be knocking on the top six door, they were stable and steady. And like you said, Nigel Pearson brought through a lot of youngsters there. He oversaw a lot of the development of Alex Scott, Tommy Conway, another one you've mentioned there, Sam Bell too. So it is quite a a shame that it's come to an end because it felt like he was gradually building something up as he has been over the last few years, but I suppose you reach a point where you say enough of the sort of the building process, it's now a time to see it level out and let's kick on further and progress that little bit further. So it's quite clear to me from where I'm looking at it as an outsider that Bristol City just think they can now maybe go up through the gears with somebody perhaps a little bit younger, a little bit more of a modern style manager. And that's no disrespect to Nigel Pearson because his record, as we know, speaks for itself. He's He's a brilliant manager at this level. He did a terrific job during his time at Leicester City, of course, Hull City as well. So it's quite clear that they just want to go in a different direction now. And you look at some of the names on the bookies list, John Eustace, Gary Rowett, Nathan Jones are the three that are considered the favourites in the minute. Hardly surprising that Rowett and Eustace are there after recently becoming available after their exits from Millwall and Birmingham, um, respectively. But... I just think it's quite clear that Bristol City, like I say, want to go in a different direction now, possibly with somebody a little bit younger, a bit more of a modern approach. And I think, like I said at the start of the season with Bristol City, they've got a decent-ish squad, but there's nothing that sort of stands out at me and makes me think really, really excitable. But I think they've got enough to kick on and move forward. So I think it's an interesting move. I think, personally, I think it's a little bit harsh. But when you look at their recent form... Yeah, it has been up and down of late. They have lost five of the last seven. But when you look at the teams they've played in that run, they've played Ipswich, Leicester, Leeds, Cardiff on a good run who they lost to at the weekend. So I don't think you can judge it necessarily just on the results of recent weeks. I think it's sort of a bigger picture thing of where Bristol City are at and the juncture they're at as a football club. So yeah, it's a, it came as a surprise. At the same time, however, I can see the sense behind it and Bristol City's thinking and I think all eyes now on what what do they do next? Because do they go down the route of bringing in a younger coach? Do they go down the route of perhaps a foreign import? We shall see. But I think Gary Rowett, John Eustace were always likely the favourites for any championship job that came up in the here or now in the next few months or whatever, if they'd not been snapped up by then. So let's see what they do. But for me, it screams and suggests that they want to go down a different path to what the one they were on with Nigel Pearson. I suppose ultimately with his contract up in the summer, they had to make a decision one way or the other. So at least they've not let it drag on until the summer and then done it and risked, you know, more spiky comments in press conferences, etc. I think for me, in terms of the successor, I think John Eustace would make a lot of sense. I think that he did a very good job at Bristol, at Birmingham City, and, and we were all outraged really at the the decision that the owners made at Blues to to get rid of him and bring in Wayne Rooney, which is going so well as well. It's aged fantastically. So I think he'd be a good appointment. I don't really see the value in Gary Rowett. I think he's 
again, a bit more of a builder, which Pearson's kind of done. And if they want to make that next step, probably the reason Rowett left Millwall was because they weren't able to make that final jump. So of the sort of names available, I think John Eustace would be my pick. In terms of the game at the weekend, obviously, I, I also want to touch on Cardiff because it's been a great week for them, having lost at Blackburn last weekend. Beat Huddersfield convincingly 4-0 in the week. Another win at the weekend. It's been a good week, I say, for Errol Bullet's side. They've got six points, two clean sheets, six goals. And the, uh, I just wanted to flag the home form, which has been a, a big improvement on last year. You know, they picked, they picked up 16 points from possible 21. Only the top two have got a better home record this season, Leicester City and Ipswich. They only took 25 points from 23 home games last season. So they're only nine points away, potentially three games from equaling last season's tally at home, which is a big, big improvement. Um, really good header from Perry and G and brilliant solo effort from Ruben Colwell, who, again, he's just, we're, we're hoping that he can make that breakthrough this year. He's sort of been been on that, periphery for the last couple of years I noticed some interesting comments in the press a couple of weeks ago from Bullet about Robinson and Colwell and how they're not quite offering enough defensively and, and out of possession for them to be regulars in his team um, well Robinson obviously started um, last weekend uh, or in the midweek game sorry and then Colwell's come off the bench and it's an absolute pile driver into the top corner so if they keep performing like that and they can up the defensive work rate they could be good additions to Cardiff with uh, Aaron Ramsey obviously still on the sidelines. Gareth Ainsworth is out at Queen's Park Rangers, George, as well, sacked after eight months in charge. They were nine without a win at the time of the decision and they'd won five out of 28 in charge since he came into the club. I think it's fair to say he never really got a grip on the squad. They had spells where they looked like they could be turning a bit of a corner. They had a good or a decent run. Um, sort of the end of August, start of September, where they'd moved to a back three. Some of the new signings were starting to click. Steve Cook had made a big impact. And, and you could see with Sinclair Armstrong up front that perhaps they got a bit of a game plan. But, you know, in the last two months, it's really unravelled again. And this felt like an inevitable decision. I know you were pretty strong on the decision on, on Ainsworth's struggles last week. And I completely agreed with you. And it comes with no shock that they've made the decision to pull the trigger, not necessarily based on losing 2-1 to Leicester because, you know, it's a little bit unfortunate in the fact that they're playing the best team in the in the league, go down to 10 men as well for a stupid red card, which has cost them on a few occasions this season when you think of the Colbite one as well earlier in the season. They've had a, a few moments of ill-discipline. And although I think Ainsworth can have no complaints about getting replaced, I do think the players have really got to look at themselves because this is not a group of players that should be in the bottom three of the championship. They've been probably the worst team in the league for a calendar year now. So people like Elias Chair, I mean, Chris Willock has absolutely fallen off a cliff. He was one of the best players in the championship and he can barely get into the starting 11 now. So I'll be interested to see what they do. If I was them, I'd just, I'd just get Warnock in. It just seems an obvious fit. It's the best chance of staying up. And it probably will give them a shot in the arm and try and get some of these players that are quite talented and clearly better than they're performing right now and, and get them performing as they should be for QPR to try and get them out of the bottom three. Fully agree. Couldn't agree more. I think Neil Warnock is the man to go in there and put the fire out. Personally, I think he's the perfect candidate. He knows the club very well. He's been there before. Tasted success there, of course, getting them into the Premier League several years ago. Obviously, a very different situation now, but... As we saw last year at Huddersfield Town, he is the man to perform the miracles. And based on the way QPR have been playing for the best part, like you said, 12 months, they are in need of a miracle at the moment because they do look a very, very poor side. 
I must say, I think the timing of Gareth Haynes with exit is a little bit odd. I think the fact that they've pulled the trigger after a defeat to Leicester a game, they would have been expected to lose anyway with the role Leicester had been they on. They could have done it if any of the last couple of weeks, couldn't they? They, they could, could have. have. They could have done. Where it was almost like... It was almost like, we'll give him the Leicester game, see if he can get a result there. And if he doesn't, then we'll we'll pull the trigger. And even if QPR, by some miracle, beaten Leicester, just look absolutely sensational at the moment, it would have probably been nothing more than a flash in the pan, a freak result, because QPR, as we've seen over the last 12 months or so, they're, in, they're incapable, as it, it seems, of putting in any sort of form together. So I think the right decision has been made. I said on last week's episode that it just felt like it was a matter of time. It had to happen sooner rather than later. And obviously now it has happened. He, he's gone. He, the decision had to be made. And Neil Warnock is by and large the favourites. There was newspaper reports over the weekend claiming that he was pretty much set in stone to get the job on a deal till the end of the season. So I think it makes sense. I think it would be a good move. Like I say, we saw what he did at Huddersfield last season. He had no right to keep them up and do what he did. Do what he did. But he produced a miracle. Can he do the same with QPR, who I would say have got a better set of players than what Huddersfield had last year? You look like you said there, Chris Willett can barely get a game. He he on his day when he's up and at it, as we've seen in recent years, can be one of the best players in this league. He's a brilliant footballer, so technical. It was never quite going to fit the Gareth Ains with Way, who just loves to lump it and be physical. That isn't Chris Willett's game. So don't be surprised, whoever the new manager is, should it be Warnock or anyone else, to see him come back into the team. But then you look at the likes of Elias Chair, Lyndon Dykes. There are goals in that team. There's creativity amongst those players. So... QPR have at least got a little bit of something to cling on to in the sense we've got some talent that if they turn up and deliver and get the right coaching during the week on the training ground, maybe we can have a chance of getting out of this mess. But it's going to be a tall order. There's no doubt about that. They've they've probably, even though they're not bottom of the league, they've produced some of the worst football we've seen this season. And that has been a result of Gareth Ainsworth's approach, his style. And I think both myself and you, I think if I think correctly, we were pretty positive about Gareth Haynes with appointment when it happened, saying that it felt like a good fit. He would bring the passion and the enthusiasm that had seemingly gone missing, but ultimately it just didn't quite work out. And I think it's it's clear from what we've seen over the past, what is it, six, seven months of Gareth Haynes with tenure that it just was never going to progress in the way he wanted it to. The football, just his mind was not aligned with the players that he had. And I think if QPR can just perhaps loosen the shackles a bit and play some actual football with the ball on the floor, maybe they will be able to progress and perhaps kick on. So whether it be Warnock, whether it be somebody else, we shall see. But personally, I think for the position they're in, though a lot of QPR fans have said they need a long-term plan put in place, I think Warnock on a short-term fix at the end of the year could be their best hope of avoiding relegation. Because at the end of the day, if you want to get out of a rut and want to avoid relegation there's nobody better qualified for the job than him. Yeah, I think the word alignment is the correct one in terms of, I felt like it could be a success at QPR, but I, I've, I'm pretty vocal in the fact that the squad wasn't yeah. ready for Gareth Ainsworth at the time. And he's never really been able to get, a, you know, put his stamp on it, get a foothold. The finance in the summer have restricted that. So it was always doomed to fail from that point onwards. Leicester keep marching on though. Brilliant goal from Harry Winks to win it. Scream out, I think that's now nine wins in a row for the Foxes, who have dropped three points all season. Five-goal thriller at Portman Road, George. Ipswich Town 3, Plymouth 2, two of last season's promoted clubs, and a thriller. Stunning goal from Morgan Whitaker, probably goal of the weekend, although there was a few contenders. And then the controversial moment in the game, where Bundu goes through on goal, 
and he's quite clearly brought down by Edmondson. It should be a red card. It should be, a, well, I think it's a free kick just on the edge of the area. And that's obviously a huge decisive moment in the game because at 1-0 up for Plymouth and if Ipswich go down to 10 men, it's a completely different game. They got away with that one, Ipswich, in, in the sense of um, with the refereeing decision. And then obviously a big touch of fortune with the own goal from Barley Mumba who deflected the ball just as his goalkeeper was about to pick it up with no one around him, deflects it into the corner for one all. George Hurst again. I'm a big George Hurst fan at this level. I think if you play him full of co- play him regularly, fill him full of confidence, I think he can be a handful. He's a good, perfect line leader for this team. Racing onto a through ball, compost finish for 2-1, and then a little bit of luck with the way that the ball deflects to Marcus Harness after having one go, deflects back to him, he makes it 3-1. Uh, Joe Wood's got one back for 3-2. But Ipswich got the points and a little bit of fortune with the refereeing decision. But nonetheless, they are irrepressible at the moment. They've obviously won at Bristol City in the week as well. They've dropped five points all season. It's been a remarkable start and they've won 25 games this calendar year already. And we've still got two months to go. Relentless. I think that's the word, isn't it, about this Ipswich town side. It is just absolutely incredible the way that they just keep winning games of football and it's a good job they do score goals because defensively they aren't the best it must be said they have conceded quite a fair few certainly at home so far this season but when you're scoring goals you've always got a chance of winning and when I saw that they'd gone 1-0 down quite early on on Saturday I thought to myself I still fancy them to come back we've seen it a lot already this season they've got that fighting spirit that resilience and It's shining through time and time again. And just a word, like you said there on George Hurst, it does feel like he's finally arrived in the Championship once and for all. His last six games, he's got three uh, three assists and two goals in his last six. So he's certainly found form at this level for the first time. But I think a a big word has got to be said about the man who provided his goal at the weekend, Leif Davis. He's been absolutely phenomenal in that left back berth. For me, the best left back by a country mile in this division so far this season. He's got six assists. And I've actually read this afternoon whilst looking at some stats for our for our social media page, 36 chances he's created already this season. That is a phenomenal, a phenomenal amount for a for a left back. So just goes to show that Kieran McKenna is is relying on everybody in this group. It's not just his forwards that are that are making things happen and dragging them up the table. It's the it's the the full backs, the centre backs are doing their job, the, the defensive midfield duo of Morsi and Luongo. It's just such a well well-built team that that know each of them know their roles. Ladaki as well in goal. He made some key saves at the weekend. It has truly been a team effort. And I go back to what I said about Ipswich only a few weeks ago. When you when you consider their starting eleven at the weekend, for example, only two of those players weren't at Ipswich last season. Those being Brandon Williams and Amari Hutchinson, both on loan. George Hurst, of course, returned on a permanent deal, but was was an Ipswich player last season on loan. So it just goes to show only two new players needed in that starting eleven, And here they are before the end of November as we record this, sitting pretty in second spot, nine points clear of third already. It is already shaping up to be a, a question of who can stop this Ipswich side. You, you keep expecting this dip in form. It's bound to happen at some point. They just keep defying the odds. They just keep on rolling. And I've got to be honest, when we made our pre-season predictions, and we thought we were being a little bit sensible compared to other predictions, putting them in sort of the lower depths of the top 10. I think I had them in eighth or ninth, I think I went for. And I thought that would be a, a good achievement for Ipswich this season after you know several seasons in League One. I never expected this. A lot of Ipswich fans were confident of a playoff tilt this year. and 
were, were optimistic that the Kieran McKenna style of play would shine through in the Championship like it did in the second half of the League One season last year. But the way that they've played, the goals that they've scored has just been phenomenal. And I always think back to the the goal that they scored, that Conor Chaplin scored in the win over Hull in midweek about two or three weeks ago. The way that they just played the ball through the thirds, such precision, such crisp passing. They're a joy to watch and that is the thing. They are a really, really good football team. They play some lovely stuff and at the end of the day, they're in the correct position. They're not in a false position. They fully deserve to be with their own great team. For Plymouth though, still chasing that elusive away win, but on another day, they could have got something from this game. They really did have the chances and like I say, Sladaki made a, a series of good saves. So, confident it'll come for Argyle. Still a little bit reliant on that home form, but I think the style of play and the way they're playing is certainly a lot better than what their league position suggests at the minute. Yeah, and if someone is going to catch Ipswich Town, George, it's probably going to be Leeds United, who are best set at the moment. Lost in midweek in a in a tight game at Stoke that could have gone either way with them missing a penalty through Patrick Bamford, then scoring a, an own goal from a corner. That happens, that's the championship. It's how you bounce back, and they certainly did that in emphatic style. Far too good for a pretty desperate Huddersfield Town team. It's got some great goals, some scintillating football in that first half particularly. Um, Craig Sestio Somerville on the score sheet twice again. I thought the fourth goal was particularly the pick of the bunch. Lovely quick feet as he danced around the Huddersfield Town defence in the box and found the corner. Leeds just keep marching on. Um, they've been in good form ever since the transfer window shut as we thought, you know, having a settled squad we said would improve their chances of getting something positive. Um, and climbing the league table and, and gaining more consistency. And, and they're certainly showing that. And the former Ellen Road's also improving as well, week by week. It certainly is. And Leeds, like I said last week, when they came back from the 2-0 down away at Norwich City, and I said it previously a few weeks before, when you've got a range of attackers like they've got, you're going to be able to hurt teams. And I know I keep going back to that point, but it is the truth. Crescencio Somerville, he is in dazzling form at the moment. He got two goals and two assists at the weekend. He got a couple of goals at Norwich. He got a goal and assist in the two games prior to that. So he is in remarkable form at this moment in time. And Dan James, a couple of goals for him at the weekend as well. He's looking really, really dangerous again. Then you've obviously got the likes of Piro and Rute, who are also floating about the team. So there's so many options for Daniel Farker to play with that realistically Leeds should be doing what they're doing in terms of their recent performances. Stoke, it was a blip. It, it, it happens. It's the championship. It's the nature of it. But we saw at Norwich, we saw on Saturday, this team can be very, very dangerous when they're up and at it. And to be 4-0 up at home by half-time, regardless of the opponent, is very impressive in this league. We know that. We know you've got to be clinical when chances present themselves. And Leeds are certainly proving that at the moment. So I think, like you said there, Leeds are best position at the minute to potentially close the gap on Ipswich and Leicester in case either of one of those two begin to begin to crumble, but it doesn't look very likely with the way the pair of them are flying at the moment. But Leeds are, like we said in the summer, they were lagging behind several other clubs, weren't they, with their transfer business. It took them a while to shift on a, a lot of their high earners to bring in funds to, to bring in new signings. And obviously there was a few changes right towards the end of the window as well. Jaden Anthony was a late arrival, Sinistera going the other way to Bournemouth. So it has taken Daniel Farker a while to get a settled team and work out his best team. But now, based on what we've seen in the past week, Stoke result aside, six points out of nine, it steps in the right direction. And they're looking a really formidable force at the moment, playing some good stuff, 
and Somerville, it seems, is in absolute the form of his life at the moment. He He's too hot to handle and that should be no surprise because there is a very, very talented player in there. So Leeds looking looking good, but uh, as for Huddersfield and Darren Moore, not, not so good at all. Yeah, you're right, George. It's not been a good week for Huddersfield at all. Two defeats, eight goals shipped and not very competitive in either game. Of course, you lose 4-0 at home to Cardiff and that's uh, a pretty damning result. And then you go West Yorkshire Derby. Yes, is anyone expecting Huddersfield to go and win at Leeds United? Probably not, but there's a way to lose and that certainly wasn't it. That first half performance was well off what any Huddersfield Town fan would expect in a Derby match. They've lost Jack Radoni through injury this week. He looks like he's going to be out until after the international break. That's a huge blow to what Darren Moore's trying to do because they just don't have anyone as good as him, quite frankly, in midfield. So the Fredbear squad's getting exposed a little bit now. It's been a bad week and they'll have to regroup and, and try and make sure they're more solid defensively in the games coming up. Probably one of the surprise results of the weekend, George, was Stoke City going to Middlesbrough and winning 2-0. Now, of course, Stoke have been in decent form, having won their last two games against Sunderland and against Leeds United in midweek. But to go to the Riverside Stadium and build on those victories in the way they did was a really positive sign for Stoke City fans. A lot of Borough fans saying that Stoke were actually quite good value for their win as well. Uh, head off from Michael Rose, his first for the club, and then Mehdi Larice doubling the lead. Middlesbrough huffed and puffed, but that six-game winning run is now over. And much better from Stoke, who are now into the top half, which is it's quite rare, really, if you think how long Stoke been in the Championship. They've not been in the top half for very long during their stint in the second tier. And I spoke on quite in depth on last week's podcast about the need for Stoke to raise their floor rather than their ceiling. Um, but this this was a really good performance. It was it was composed, it was mature, and it was consistent. And that's just not what we've seen from Stoke City in the Championship and not what we've seen from them under Alex Neal. So next couple of games will be... As I say, I, I want to see Stoke do it for six and ten games rather than two, three, four, because I feel like we've been here before, last March in particular, where they looked sensational and had a great run. Can they do it for six games? Can they do it for 10 games? That's the next next challenge. But you can only beat what's in front of you and they beat a very good Middlesbrough side and we good value for the win. Well, first things first, just going to drop in there that uh, I tipped Stoke as my shot for the weekend. I had a sneaky suspicion after that uh, midweek win over Leeds that they were going to build on it again. Stoke were excellent when they went to Middlesbrough last season. Back in March, they played really, really well in a 1-1 draw and should have won that game that night. But at the moment... As I said on last last week's podcast, a week last Sunday evening, I said, didn't I? Let's see what sort of conversation we're having about Stoke in a week's time when they've played Leeds, played Middlesbrough following that 2-1 win over Sunderland because we know Stoke have been the kings of being inconsistent for the last couple of years. So a really, really, really good week. Three wins in a row, back-to-back clean sheets in that run. And to go to Middlesbrough, we're obviously on a six-game winning run, as you mentioned, it's really, really impressive. And it's the first time Stoke have actually won three in a row since November 2021. So almost two years. It's been a long time coming, this. And it's not just a case that Stoke sort of have had an easy week. They've had some very tricky fixtures in this run. Sunderland, we know, uh, are normally much better away from home than they are at home. Leeds, obviously, been really good of late. Middlesbrough have been flying. So they've not had an easy run to put this string of results together. So, a brilliant week for Alex Neal. And like you said there, the performance at Borough on Saturday 
it was it was fully merited. It wasn't a case of a smash and grab under the cosh for 80, 90 minutes and sneaking the goals. They fully merited. They were 2 up by half-time and then saw the game out professionally after the break. And Borough never really got going and didn't get into a stride. But I think for Alex Neil, the challenge is now, like you've said, can they, yes, three wins in a row. It's a, it's a good little consistent run. But can they stretch it? Can they take it to five wins in a row? Can they possibly take it to seven wins? Can they kick on? Can they become a, a consistent, formidable team again? Because the thing is with Stoke, they recruited a hell of a lot of players in the summer. They they really tried to freshen things up and they started the season reasonably well. I think they got two wins in the first three. There was a lot of lot of noise about Andre Vidigal after he got that opening day brace against Rotherham and he looked really bright and lively and then just things tailed off for everybody and they, they lost their way like they have done so often in recent years. But the past, what's it now, eight, nine days have been really encouraging for Stoke. Four wins in the last six as well. That That's another sign that things are improving. So I think for Alex Neil now is, can they can they stretch this winning run to four? They've got a tricky game coming this forthcoming weekend. Cardiff at home, I think it is. Just getting the fixtures up now. Yeah, it is Cardiff at home. We're obviously in good form themselves. So that could be another tough test for Stoke. Would be a tough test for Cardiff. Could be a good game. So let's see how things go for Stoke again this time next week. But it seems finally, just finally, they're starting to step things up a little bit. And as we record this, only currently four points off the playoffs. So in a decent-ish position, 11th in the table, only a point behind Middlesbrough. We've been singing the praises of lately. Uh, and as for Borough as well, disappointing that the winning run's come to an end. But if you've asked Borough fans after the start of the season they had four or five weeks ago, you're going to win six of your next seven. They'd have snapped your hand off for that. So disappointing. But I think for Borough, it's just a case of can they get back on the bike as quickly as possible and, and get this out of the system. But for Stoke, really, really impressive week and a very impressive victory. The Riverside is not an easy, easy place to go for anybody when Michael Carrick's been in charge. George, this is not a drill. Sheffield Wednesday have won a football match this season. Don't believe you. They did. They beat Rotherham United 2-0. Let me tell you about it. Um, they've got the first win of the season. They're first under Danny Rule. The performances have been a lot better since he came in, in truth. They lost narrowly at Watford in a game that was very, very tight. Um, they then got beat by Plymouth in a game where they were the best team for 40 minutes. They then concede a brilliant free kick. And then an individual error at the back puts them 2-0 down at half-time and just a bit of a rubbish second half and they implode. They score the first goal in the Plymouth game. It's a very different story. Now, they didn't, so it's a bit irrelevant. But the performances have been getting there. They've been better. They've been You've seen what they've been doing on the on the training pitch since Real came in. They went to a 3-4-3 for this game in build-up, back four out of possession, and it worked a treat with Musaba. Uh, on one side, Josh Windass on the other, picking up plenty of space in those number 10 pockets and causing a lot of issues for Rotherham United. And the man who got the goal, Michael Smith, against his former club, he got both goals, a scrappy one for the first and a close-range finish, a good finish one-on-one for the second. I found the lack of opportunities that Michael Smith has had this season very strange because there was a little bit of talk about him leaving even potentially in the summer to go to Derby when Cisco was in charge. And considering he was the first... Sheffield Wednesday played to score 20-plus goals in a league season since Neil Mellor in, what, 2010? Something like 2010, that? 2010-11, yeah, Neil Mellor. Exactly. So, he scores goals. He can hold the ball up. He's Yes, is he the most dynamic championship forward? No. But for me, he's quite clearly their best number nine. He's better than Lee Gregory. He's better than Ashley Fletcher. He's better than playing Josh Windass there. 
he's the best option because he can work the channels. It can be a platform for you to build off with your more creative players. And he can score goals. He's not going to get 20 goals in the championship, but he can hit double figures. And I don't necessarily think that about any of their other forwards. So really, really good win for Wednesday. A, a, an absolute must win having lost in midweek to Plymouth. Um, and a, a disappointing one for Rotherham having beat Coventry in the week. It's a step backwards for them. Um, Matt Taylor saying he, he, he was very frustrated and that can't. he feels like he can't trust some of the players in his squad. Um, obviously, the injury is still biting for them. They brought Daniel Ayala in this week on a, an emergency deal. The EFL let them do that because of the amount of injuries they've got, particularly at the back. So, must-win game for Wednesday and they, they got the win. And it's great to see Danny Real coming in and starting to, to influence things in a positive manner. Most definitely, Wednesday had to win this game. There was no doubt about it. Obviously, Rotherham directly above them in the table. A defeat would have really added another nail to the coffin, even though we're only in in the last couple of days of October. With the way things have gone for Wednesday, it's been a massive struggle so far. But you're bang on the money about Danny Rill. Improvements have been very apparent in his first three games. Wednesday, they narrowly lost that opening game at Watford. Should have won that game, the amount of chances they had. I watched the Plymouth game in the week and Wednesday for the first 40, 45 minutes, they were absolutely excellent. I must say, I thought they were really, really impressive. Masaba was causing all kinds of problems down the Wednesday right-hand side. Plymouth didn't know what to do with him and it was just a case of Wednesday, whatever they tried, however close they went, the ball just would not go in the net. And when you're in that rut and you're at the bottom of the league, things like that don't go for you. Eventually, things did click on Sunday. They got that first win. Ended that goal drought as well. The first time they scored since the 19th of September when Masaba was the, the goal scorer that night against Middlesbrough. And then he got two assists on Sunday. So Masaba's been at the heart of Wednesday's last three goals. So hopefully for him, he's going to kick on now. He looked a real live wire on Sunday. It must be said Rotherham could not contain him, obviously. He's not a name that I don't think we've even mentioned on this podcast this year with how poor Wednesday have been. It's not exactly been a podcast that's been able to sing the praise of the Owls, unfortunately, this season. But... Masaba brought in in the summer from Monaco, very highly rated, linked with Real Madrid and Bayern Munich many, many moons ago. So you don't get those sort of links if you've not got something about you. But he looked a real threat and a handful on, on Sunday. But I think Wednesday now and Danny Rural, it's quite clear that Danny Rural is a coach that's very hands-on. He's very, very modern in his thinking, very progressive style of play Wednesday, moving the ball with a lot of freedom on Sunday and that was quite clear Danny Rill has come into this club and, and recognised that the club has obviously been through the mill in the last few weeks. Cisco Munoz oversaw an absolute disaster. I think it's the only word that you can use where Wednesday, quite simply, I don't even think they set up to try and win games. It, it was so bad. But Danny Rill, the performance on Sunday sort of epitomised his style as a coach in the way that he wants to be progressive. He wants to be forward thinking. He wants to get Wednesday scoring goals and on the front foot and Already, even though obviously there's still a hell of a lot of discontent to the owner Dave Ponchanciri, obviously came out over the weekend that Wednesday were under another embargo, this time something to do with HMRC. But there seems to be a real connection between the fans and Danny Rill just three games into his premiership. And after how broken the relationship was, understandably, between the fans and Chisco Munoff, this needed repairing. And it seems like Danny Rill, even though very early days, of course, has started to do that. So... Quite obvious, the challenge for Wednesday now is they can't rest on the laurels. They've got to build on this. Yes, it's brilliant that they finally won a game and did play some good football, particularly in the first half. But you've got to, you've just got to acknowledge, of course, that Rotherham, they've not won away from home 
since the 8th of November last year, so nearly 12 months to the day. They've played 20 championship away games in that time and failed to win one of them, losing 12. So there is a hell of a lot of work for Rotherham to do on that front. But for Wednesday, can't get too carried away. Rotherham very poor on the travels, but the performance was good at the weekend. They played some nice football. And next two fixtures for Wednesday before the next international break, Bristol City away, obviously a bit of uncertainty about them. Then Millwall at home. Millwall quite possibly out of a manager in by then. Still just under another fortnight away. But I think these two games are sort of Wednesday you've got to look at and say, look, we've got to win these two. We've got to continue, got to build on this. And like I said, when we discussed Danny Rill's appointment last week, I am quite excited. As a Wednesday fan, I'm really excited about this appointment. Whether or not he can keep Wednesday up, one victory, it's it's a start and it's nothing more than a start. There's a hell of a lot of work still to be done, but at least at long last, Wednesday are up and running and off the mark. Yes, absolutely. Southampton, they got their, uh, got, they're now four games unbeaten. Sorry, they've won three out of the last four uh, and comfortably victors against Birmingham City, who are obviously having a terrible time so far under Wayne Rooney. They were two up after a, a Taylor, Taylor Harwood Bellis header and a tapping from Carlos Alcaraz, both orchestrated by the very impressive Suleimana down the left-hand side. Cody Drama just couldn't handle him, quite frankly. Too quick, too dynamic, too um, tricky for the Birmingham City fullback. And Southampton, obviously, well well in control. Now, Birmingham definitely should have had a penalty at 2-0 because Bazunu wipes out Jukovic. It's a stonewall penalty. We've seen so many examples, whether you want to go to Andre Nana in the Premier League, whether you want to... There was a, another one with Gabriel Jesus, I think, last week as well, again, in the Premier League. Why do goalkeepers get protected? If it's two outfield players going for the ball and one gets there before the other and it gets clattered, it's a foul. Whether it's in the penalty area, whether it's outside the box, it should be a penalty. It's a stonewall decision. Wayne Rooney was told after the match by the fourth official that it was minimal contact. He absolutely poleaxes him. It's an absolutely bonkers decision. Now, I'm not saying Birmingham deserved anything from this game, but that's a, a big moment at 2-0. They get they score that goal, 2-1 at half-time. Could be a different game. They did get themselves back into it through Jay Stanfield. Really good finish after pouncing on a bit of a loose touch by Carl Walker-Peters. And then we had uh, probably the least Russell Martin goal ever where... Ball gets played to the back post. It's knocked down and Adam Armstrong with a, a pretty scruffy finish into the far corner. So uh, quite a detachment from the free-flowing football we normally see from them. But Southampton were good value for this. Birmingham got big problems. There's plenty of unrest in the fan base already after three games because they're going backwards. But yeah, just bonk that refereeing decision. Just absolutely mental, really. It certainly was, and Wayne Rooney had every right to feel aggrieved about that one. He's absolutely cleaned Lukas Jukovic out, hasn't he? And let's be honest, Lukas Jukovic, he's not the smallest of not the smallest of figures. You've got to have something to knock him down. But yeah, Bazunu's Southampton got away with one there. There's no doubt about that. But as for the game itself, yet more evidence that Birmingham have made a mistake. It's as simple as that. They have made a huge error and I don't really mean that with any sort of disrespect to Wayne Rooney because I look at this and I think the owners have come into Birmingham, a club that had been in turmoil for several years. They've come in during the summer, everybody's singing their praises, excellent recruitment, really, really eye-catching, playing some good football. 
and finally the stadium so, finally getting done yeah, as well. Yeah, that's nearly there now. And you finally looked at it and you thought Birmingham were behaving like a proper football club again. They'd got sense, they'd got structure. It looked like they were going to move forward. And all of a sudden, Tom Wagner, the Birmingham owner, says, right, this seems to be a bit too normal. Let's go for the Hollywood effect. Bring in a big name who's going to get us a load of likes and followers on social media. It doesn't really matter what happens on the pitch. Where as long as the social media account looks follower heavy, we'll be all right. Wayne Rooney has come in three games in, lost the first three, was booed and abused off the pitch by some Birmingham fans after the midweek defeat to Hull City. First home game that was, by the way, which isn't exactly a very good start, is it? They scored one goal in the first three, lost them all. And Birmingham fans are already saying that the football is really, really poor. Yes, they've got a few injuries. They've still got some key players to come back. But you went back to the point you raised last week when, when they lost at Middlesbrough about the midfield being really stodgy and really sort of slow and uninspiring, if you like. So it just goes to show that John Eustace was... They'd recruited to his needs. They were ticking along absolutely fine. They were in the playoff positions when he left the club. Yeah, they're only, as we record this, five points off the playoffs. It's a long, long season, a long, long way to go. But the fact of the matter is Birmingham have made a managerial change in the hope of improving, and they've got worse. And everybody could see it coming, except for the men that mattered. It's as simple as that. We all knew it was going to happen. And I, for one, still think he's absolutely livid. And I never I never shared my views on this because I was missing the episode that followed John Eustace's exit and, and Wayne Rooney's arrival. So I've never, never had the chance to really talk about this. But like everyone else, I just thought it was a, a comical decision. And it has literally been just done on, on a whim, really, I think, what what has Wayne Rooney done in his managerial career to earn this job from a manager that was doing a really good job, who was proving himself and was on an upward trajectory? I'm sorry, but really, really baffling decision. And in a way, I, I kind of feel sorry for the Birmingham supporters because they could see this coming. They finally thought that they were moving in the right direction again after a really, really good summer. We ranked it as one of the best transfer windows any championship club had. And all of a sudden now, it's just been sort of ripped apart and they're, they're on a downward spiral again. So, yeah, early days, Wayne Rooney could prove us all wrong and go and win the next two or three games and we're all sat here singing the praise of him and saying they look a really good team. But I just think for the way John Eustace was tret, and that, of course, is not Wayne Rooney's fault, not in any sense of the imagination, I just think the Birmingham owners got to look at themselves and think, yeah, we got this wrong, but you can guarantee they're not going to. So let's just see. Let's just see out of interest how long Wayne Rooney lasts in this job. So, yeah. All in all, uh, a disastrous decision, another defeat. But on the plus side, a good finish from Jay Stansfield, who continues to look quite impressive when he gets on the pitch. So that's one crumb of comfort for Birmingham. But yeah, poor result of the weekend. But for Southampton, finally feels like they're just starting to flex their muscles a little bit after that wobble in September. Yeah, absolutely. Another man under pressure, George, is David Wagner. Uh, they lost 3-1 Norwich City at Sunderland. I didn't think their first goal should have counted either. Huang Guzhou scored. Gabriel Sarr is quite clearly interfering with play. He stood offside. How can you possibly say he's not interfering when you think of all the goals that get ruled out for someone being slightly stood in the eyeline of a goalkeeper? Go back to the, the Gutas goal at Blackburn last week. That gets ruled out with Grant stood in front of him, even though it flies past both of them. Sarr is practically blocking off the defender from getting to the ball, and that's not ruled out bonkers but it all went downhill from there anyway um, some of them getting themselves back in front with goals from Trey Hume um, Dan Neal and a penalty from Jack Clark to win them the game the Dan Neal goal was really nice a lovely move and a clever finish over the goalkeeper but for Norwich the performances have, have 
fallen off a cliff, really. They've now won one of their last nine games, six wins in 24 overall for David Wagner. And that early season optimism has soon faded away. They've been incredibly reliant on, you know, moments of magic, really, from John Rowe or from Gabriel Sara since Ashley Barnes and Josh Sargent got injured. So there doesn't seem to be much of a, an identity, really, at the moment. They look all at sea at the back, as they have done for most of the time under Wagner, giving away some really poor goals. And the attacking sort of plan seems to be give the ball to Rowe or Sara and hope they pull something out of the backside and for a worldie because at the minute things are looking pretty bleak and Norwich are on the slide down the table and pressure building on, on David Wagner as well. Most definitely. One win in eight games now. Six defeats in that run. It's it's spiralling out of control quite quickly for, for Norwich City. They're conceding a hell of a lot of goals as well. So it's quite clear that what we said in the summer about recruitment being on the uninspiring side is now just beginning to shine through and Yes, they had a good start to the season, but how many years do Norwich tend to come out of the traps flying and then fade away quite quickly? It happened last year. It's it's a common occurrence with that club for for whatever reason it is. So they've got a lot of work to do because th- this quite easily could spiral out of control even further. And David Wagner's got to be sort of in a position now where he is edging closer to the axe because a couple of bad further bad results, he could be in big trouble. Blackburn at home this weekend... Uh, on Sunday lunchtime, that's going to be an interesting one. Must win game, you would argue, for Norwich's Buzzing position they're in. That's at, that's at 12 o'clock on Sunday. Really, I bet you are. My house at half past six in the morning for that. Thank you, Sky Sports. I bet you are. One of the most difficult grounds to get to in the country as well. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, one one point from the last 15 on off for Norwich, it is a it is a big problem and it's something they've got to correct as soon as possible. And like I said, they're leaking goals as well. Only one clean sheet in the last eight games. But on the flip side, Sunderland, after a, a difficult week, even though to be fair to them, they did they did give Leicester a bit of a game in the week. They did come close to getting something from that. Only a slender 1-0 defeat at the King Power on Tuesday night. Uh, had chances, could have got something from that game. But Leicester, like most teams as good as them, do just find a way to grind the result out and get over the line. And that's what Leicester did. But for Sunderland at the weekend, and there's been obviously a little bit concerned haven't there, about Sunderland, their home form, generally better on the road than they are at the Stadium of Light. At the weekend, though they had to come from behind, I thought the quality of their second goal was was just sublime. Jack Clark, the, the instigator, yet again, such a talented footballer, that man. It's amazing. He's already equaled last season's goal tally in the league of nine already. Top scorer in the division still this season. Just a joy to watch. I think it's as simple as that. Jack Clark is an absolute joy to watch. And I always felt that that move to Tottenham Hotspur was a little bit too soon in his career. And Tottenham jumped on the bandwagon, brought him in. Didn't was never going to work out, never really going to get a fair crack. Obviously, went on loan to Sunderland when they are in the League One. Went there permanently when they got promoted. And he's just blossomed under Tony Mowbray. And Tony Mowbray has his critics. There's a lot of people that say that he's always a manager that gets teams into a good position. And come April... March, April, they fall away a little bit, like he so often did at Blackburn. Obviously, Sunderland got in the playoffs last year. Uh, Sunderland got in the playoffs last year and obviously just fell short in the semi-finals. But Tony Mowbray, like I've often said, I don't think at this level you could wish for a better manager to oversee the the progress of young players. I've said it time and time again. Harvey Elliott at Blackburn, prime example. Ahmad at Sunderland last year. Jack Clark's just going from strength to strength. So I think Sunderland are just in that position where 
they're a, a team that can so easily turn the style on, turn the heat up, play brilliant football, but they've just got that element of risk where they can just just lose a couple and then they're playing catch-up again. They just seem to be struggling for that little bit of consistency. But as Tony Mowbray said in his post-match on Saturday, this is a very young squad. He's still learning. He's still perfecting the art of, of game management, things like that. So I think Sunderland, again, are in a good spot to have a crack at the playoffs. I think it's possible when you've got someone like Jack Clark, who's a match winner, playing the best football of his career so far, you're always going to have a chance. They're currently one point outside the top six. You know, I think they've got a good chance that this season to get in the playoffs again. Swansea away at the weekend. Swansea in decent form themselves at the minute. Be it be an interesting one, that. Yeah, absolutely. Really good week for Hull City as well, George. They're into the top six after winning both of their games and really felt like the week where Jaden Philogene announced himself back to the championship. He's obviously been very good for them this season. He's been the best player on the pitch in both games this week and a great finish to win the game with a real sublime piece of quality, dribbling run, great finish with his left foot. It was a big investment in the summer, really, for Hull. £5 million for a player that had performed in flashes in his loan spells at Stoke and at Cardiff as well, but hadn't really hit that consistency. But England under-21 international, clearly very highly rated by Aston Villa, who did eventually let him go. So it was a big, big, you know, a big investment from Hull, a big chance for them to take. But he looks like he could be their match winner, their difference maker this season. Clearly enjoying the management of Liam Rossini, as so many young players do. Um, Liam Delap progressing as well. Jacob Grees putting in good performances. So things coming together for Hull. Good win. Two good wins this week. Deserve both. And, and Philogene looks like he could be that difference maker. He could be the one that's going to give them that star quality that could get them competing in and around the playoff places. Most definitely. He he is similar to Jack Clark, isn't he? In the sense he's a match winner. He's a flair player. He's going to be the one that gets you out of tight space and conjures up a little bit of magic. And that's exactly what he did to to find a way for Hull in what was a tight game at the weekend. And I think when you look back on Hull's recent results, they were obviously seconds away from getting a point against Southampton last weekend when they lost 2-1. So it would have been, if they'd seen that through, it would have been seven points out of nine in the past week, which would have been a really good haul. Six, still very respectable, still solid. Two clean sheets in there as well. And they just continue to tick along reasonably nicely. They've only lost three games so far this season. And I think as well, a big, big factor for Hull at the weekend was the fact that they finally got that that home win, their first since the second game of the season, when they beat Sheffield Wednesday on the 12th of August. So it's a bit of a weight off the back of Liam Racina and his players. They've been drawing games of fun at home. Obviously, the Southampton loss in there as well recently, but on the whole, being draws mainly. So they've got to use that to their advantage now and try and kick on. But like you said, Jaden Philogene, match winner, brilliant, brilliant player. Scored in the week as well at Birmingham. Leon Delap with a couple of goals in his last three games as well. So Hull have got these young, hungry talents who we must say as well, Liam Delap, Jaden Philogene did really, really well on the international stage within England's under-21s earlier this month as well. So it's quite clear that Liam Racine has got a lot of talent to play with. And I think when you look at Hull City's upcoming fixtures, you, you look at what they've got prior to the international break. They've got West Bromwich Albion away. On Saturday, West Brom playing this evening as we record this Monday afternoon. They've got Coventry away tonight. And then Hull have got Huddersfield at home on the 11th of November. Hull realistically could win both of those games. They really could. They could get six points. If they can go into the international break and run a four in a row, they're in a good stead. So 
really, really encouraged by Hull. They are, like like we said at the start of the scene, they're a team that have got the potential to, to knock on that playoff door, even though both of us tipped them to finish quite low down this season when we made our predictions. But as a caveat, we made those predictions long before they'd finalised their recruitment in the summer. And that instantly changed our minds with the signs they brought in towards the end of the window. If we'd made our predictions, say, three, four weeks later than we did, we probably would have put Hull a lot higher at the tail. But Liam Rossini, he's doing a very good job there. Hull are a, a tough nut to crack now. They're playing a good brand of football. They've got some very young, exciting players. And I think the big thing for them is getting that home win now. Can they start to turn those draws at home into victories? If they can do that, I think the top six is... is is certainly a realistic ambition this year. I'm not just saying that they're going to get in there, but I certainly think they've got a good chance. And as I say, West Brom away at the weekend, that's one of those games that I genuinely think could go either way. But if Hull win that, and then they've got Huddersfield at home the week after, there's a good chance they could sign off for the international break with four wins on the trot. And then finally, Blackburn Rovers were beaten 1-0 by Swansea Ewood Park. Blackburn started really well, but missed a sitter through Callum Britton after 60 seconds. And... Then paid the price. Really nice goal from uh, Liam Cullen cutting in on his left foot and bending it into the far corner. Really, really nice finish. Um, and Rovers were poor after Swansea had scored. They were the better side, the visitors, knocking the ball around really nicely. Although we've seen, obviously, more of a mixed style of play from them under Michael Duff this season com- compared to the um, p- possession-at-all-costs approach under Russell Martin. They've still got plenty of technicians on the team, plenty of players who can dictate the tempo. So... They were the better side um, in that. And then in the second half, Jamie Patterson had a huge opportunity to put the game to bed after an error from Scott Wharton. Big save from Leopold Walstead. And Rovers did have chances. As I say, they weren't great. They weren't at the best, but they probably had enough chances to get a point, mainly through Harry Leonard back from injury. The first of which is a shot he drags just wide on his right foot. Second in the dying moments, a header from six yards out, either side of the goalkeeper. And that would have been one all. So... Again, although Rovers weren't at the best, goals were the issue. Um, lack of clinical edge in front of goal, which has been the story all season. But Swansea, decent value for this. I thought they were defended quite well, managed the game well, slowed it down, bit of time wasting at times, particularly from Carl Rushworth. But yeah, really nice goal from Cullen, which was good enough to win any game. And Rovers' Achilles heel once again, proving the reason why they couldn't get anything from this match. Yeah, definitely. I mean, Swansea have been on a gradual upward trajectory, haven't they, in the last few weeks? They have started slowly, just to turn the screw under Michael Duff. Obviously, been a little bit hit and miss of late in their results, but on the whole, they've been progressing and obviously only a point behind Blackburn now who they beat at the weekend. So I think for Swansea, the challenge for them is can they just, like Stoke, like others, can they just find a rhythm? Can they find that consistency? Because they've shown that they've got the capabilities. Michael Duff came in in the summer, obviously picked up the baton from Russell Martin and and we both really applauded the the appointment, thought it was really smart, really encouraging. And obviously he had to he had to deal with the loss of, of his star player in Joel Perrault. That was a big blow. And obviously it's big, big, big shoes to fill with the amount of goals that he scored. But overall, Swansea have done all right in recent weeks. They've played a good brand of football. I mean, you were there at the weekend, you saw the game. Did they look like a team that, has got the ability to, to score goals, certainly without Joel Perosa, say just scoring one at the weekend. Could they add two, maybe three to their game each week, do you think? They didn't create a bucket load of chances. Obviously, they had the big opportunity through Jamie Patterson to make it two. That that should have been a goal, really. Um, and they, they didn't they weren't cutting Rovers open at, at will, but 
they managed the game very well, which I was surprised from quite a young team. Um, yeah, Humphreys was good at left centre back. Grimes and Patino were pretty solid in midfield as well. kept the kept the ball ticking. So I do think they've got players in there that can score goals. You've got Cullen, you've got Patterson, Yates obviously leading the line, um, and Jamal Lowe playing off the left hand side. So I do think there's goals in this team. Um, they're just probably missing that little bit of you know that final pass in the final third, I would say, was the reason why. Because they did have some good breaks and some good opportunities as Rovers pressed on to try and get themselves back level. They just didn't quite get the final pass right. So they didn't create buckets of chances, but it's certainly with that foursome in attack and, you know, like Swally Cooper, etc. on the bench as well. I do think they've got firepower to score goals. Yeah, I think they've got it in them. I really do. I think, you know, Jamal Lowe, I like him. I've always liked him. But I just think for Swansea now is... The, the, like I said there a minute or so ago, can they find that rhythm of consistency? We saw that run that they had when when it started with that win over Sheffield Wednesday. They put four wins in a row together, then a couple of defeats. But one of those, in fairness, was against Leicester City with Wax Lyrical about already saying how tough they are to beat. Lost to Watford in the week. But when you look, when you break it down, it's five wins in the last seven games. It's only two defeats in the last eight. So it does suggest they've got the, the capability to put to string a run of results together and be interested to see where they go from here. And at the moment, like I said, the playoffs certainly not not tipping them to get in the playoffs, not by any stretch of the imagination. I think they're a hell of a lot better teams than them. But as it stands at the moment, they're only five points off being in 13th spot. I think most Swansea fans, certainly acknowledging the change in the summer, the loss of their star man, probably would have accepted that heading into November. Yeah, absolutely. There was only one draw in the Championship this weekend, George. That was Watford 2, Millwall 2. Um, quite a, a fortunate... Goal for Yasser Espria with a couple of deflections and the ball bouncing off him and going in. Um, Zian Fleming got them level and a second header in a week for Wes Harding thought that it got Millwall the three points. But a late leveller from Rajevic somehow left unmarked in the penalty area to head home, made it 2-2. And Coventry versus West Brom is Monday night's game. So that marks the end of this week's Championship Chat podcast. Thank you as always for listening and make sure you are subscribed wherever you get your podcast from and you'll get the latest episode from us every single week. Follow us on Twitter at ChampChatPod24 as well. And a huge thanks again to our sponsors, Cards Accepted, for their support this season. Make sure you go and check them out at cardsaccepted.co.uk. Thank you for listening and we'll catch you again next week for another episode of the Championship Chat podcast. This is the Championship Chat Podcast, your home of news, views and debate from England's second tier.